this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to another edition of the in focus podcast i am your host g sampath we are now living in an age where a person's very physical existence comes under a question mark if he or she doesn't have a verified and verifiable digital identity access to basic government services hinge on your ability to validate yourself digitally as the countless stories of aadhaar based exclusion do attest but while the dust is yet to settle on the whole debate around the aadhaar project which began as something voluntary before becoming effectively mandatory the ministry of electronics and informational technology has now proposed a new model of federated digital identities this new id which i'm going to call a meta unique id will link a citizen's multiple unique ids such as pan aadhaar driving license passport etc to one unique id this proposal is part of several initiatives and projects that the government is considering under the india digital ecosystem architecture or india 2.0 framework so why exactly do we need federated digital identities and what is the indea 2.0 framework all about are there any privacy or surveillance concerns that ordinary citizens need to worry about with these new initiatives we look for some answers to these questions from shrinivas kodali an interdisciplinary researcher with a special interest in data standards cities cyber security and the internet shrinivas thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me again hampath Uh, Shrinivas, uh, the the Ministry of Electronics and uh, Information Technology uh, has come up with this new idea for a federated digital identity, which apparently involves linking a citizen's multiple IDs such as PAN, passport, etc., to one unique ID. Can you give us a quick uh, overview of why the government thinks we need uh, one more ID of this kind? Sampath, if you look at the Aadhaar project. uh it was not a single uh system it was a set of systems that india wanted to build right aadhar was just the foundation for it as mr nilikani himself says we then built uh, digital payments on top of it now we are trying to build a health id uh, you're trying to build fintech ecosystem so essentially it was a way to digitize india entirely and all of its governance systems so you're building a digital republic now what happened is they wanted to link aadhar everywhere and use aadhar as the single id through which citizens could interact with the government and we saw how dangerous this could be in terms of privacy and how the government was forcing us to link it to everything and the supreme court essentially said no you can't force citizens to use this id everywhere especially not with banks and phone numbers and what not so now with all of these restrictions the government is forced to create these uh, functional digital identities i don't want to call them federated because they are not federated so in terms of uh, this whole idea of centralization and decentralization we are talking about with the internet and with what's happening in india i don't think you can call them federated digital identities these are end of the day national digital identities you have a national health id that's coming up you have a national farmer id that's coming up these are functional purpose specific identities for specific sectors 
but end of the day they want to link them together because the government wants a seamless flow of data health data farmers to be shared with their agriculture data to be shared with their financial loan aspect data which is linked to aadhar so they want an intermix of data sets which was the original aim of aadhar project i i was just thinking so if if the idea is uh, to have a seamless flow of uh, data across these various uh, identities and functions you already have an aadhar to which everybody is linking everything else so why can't aadhar be this meta unique id why do you need one more id it's because uh, you can't make make it mandatory the government wants to push everyone onto this digital bandwagon right like they don't want to have any offline systems everything that you want to do with the government it has to be digital only and this will also help the private industry it will also help with our economy being digitized so and they can't force aadhar anymore at least uh, in theory they are doing it in practice but when you look at the laws and judgments of this country they can't force aadhar so they are saying okay we will create these new functional ids and then push this on to citizens so if, so this new functional ids uh, with a meta id won't that then be forced upon i mean won't that have to be sort of wouldn't that require a legal cover to be made mandatory just like other uh, tried and failed it needs to uh, if you look at the aadhar judgment the judgment is very clear even the right to privacy judgment the putswami 1 and putswami 2 they specifically say any digital id any identity card you need to have purpose limitation you need to have a law they need they all need to fit a proportionality test uh if you look at the new national health id that's been announced and how they created these health ids part of vaccine distribution through covid uh it was all done without any laws people did not know that the health ids were being created for them and that their health data will be stored and shared within that health ec- data ecosystem all of this the new ids that they're trying to create is to ensure that there is no um further damage to the brand aadhar because if it comes back and if there is more litigation on aadhar it could be a point where you might have to shut down aadhar itself the way the government is pushing these things so they are trying to mitigate risk to aadhar by creating new ids and then linking them to aadhar so if if say people go to court and say no this is becoming all uh, surveillance this is invading my privacy other is not doing it a new health id will be doing that at max the court will say that this project also has to follow the judgment in aadhar and they will bring a law later so it's the way the government is selling all of this what what are we being told since the other project has always been this this will help make citizens life easier but you will have to share all of your data to the government right so so what you're saying is that one this is about digital uh, governance and and sort of uh, transposing the entire governance ar- architecture from physical or offline mode to a digital mode and secondly you're saying that uh, to sort of uh, bypass the uh, the the various uh, noise around uh, aadhar you have not a federated in terms of a hierarchy where there is a center and a number of uh, different uh, entities around it 
but parallel functional uh, nodes of identities which will be linked together so this linking will be to a new unique id or will it be to the old aadhar one i think it's will be to aadhar it's they are not going to create a new id for just linking you can link databases without aadhar uh, the reason we needed aadhar or the government needed aadhar back in 2008 was not a lot of our databases were clean enough uh, but that process has been achieved through aadhar where you have centralized all these databases and you have already linked them pretty much with aadhar so there won't be a new this meta id what will only happen is that all these health ids farmer ids department ids will be linked with aadhar okay and the the ministry has said that this uh, this this process of a federated identity network will empower the citizen because they will not go on uh, uh, doing verification multiple times for each of uh, the, the interfaces they may have with the government and it will be empowering the citizen by making it easier for them to interact with government departments and state governments and so on so how valid uh, is this claim i think some part that's a partial claim okay i won't disagree with it entirely it will help a class of citizens who have access to digital technology who are comfortable to interact with their government through laptops and mobile phones and it will make the life of normal citizens who are not really familiar with uh, mobile usage and how to interact with the government uh, it will make their life a little harder for a while that's what aadhar did right i mean it it probably eased up kyc requirements for a certain class of people and it made it really really hard to do banking and access government services uh, if you are from the lower strata of the economy so depending upon which classes Uh, how educated you are how familiar you are with digital societies your access to these systems will improve or decrease right now this proposal has come under the aegis of uh, this INDEA 2.0 framework can you give us a quick overview of what is this india 2.0 uh, all about and you know there was an india 1.0 earlier which had a slightly different expansion enterprise uh something something and now this is one more uh, digital ecosystem architecture the earlier one was enterprise architecture and I, i went through the document the framework document of this and i mean i was struck by a few principles they uh, they highlight which is that everything is going to be uh, mobile first and you just spoke about access uh, via mobiles but but india i mean we are told has a very high mobile penetration so we don't know how far that's going to be helpful or not then everything is going to be cloud first and then they have got these three different uh, architectures uh, one for central government one for state government and one for i don't know india light for government departments as such and this is all supposed to be uh, some kind of a guideline for the government to set up a digital uh, governance architecture of sorts so what is this uh, india framework all about who's who's sort of driving this and uh, what are what are the citizens uh, main concerns uh, that you see coming up as this goes forward see the idea of india enterprise architecture is essentially to have an architecture for india's digital ecosystem and this ecosystem will include both governance ecosystem and the economic components which is private sector and what the private sector can do 
all of it. So when you're talking about architectures, so think of the constitution. The constitution is an architecture for how uh, various government actors, uh, various uh, bodies of the state function. It's an architecture. Now, you are building an architecture with technology for all governance systems in India. That's essentially India Enterprise Architecture. There was, there was a version 1.0. Now they are saying there's a 2.0. Uh, there may be a 3.0 later, depending on how people will go to courts again and what courts say, all of this. So this is an changing architecture based on what the government wants and what how citizens are going to oppose it. So is an architecture for uh, India, digital India, bad? No, it's actually great. But the principles that they are deciding, as you have mentioned, are all software principles. They are not governance principles. They are not principles of the constitutions. So when we talk about, uh, say, digital voting, that, that, that may come someday, we should be talking about principles of voting. Uh, but instead there, if you say, oh, we'll do a mobile-first voting, that doesn't make sense. Similarly, in all of these other governance systems, you have to talk about governance principles, and we are not doing that. We are instead saying that, oh, this is going to be federated, but it's actually not. It's it's a centralized national system. Uh, and you're talking about ag- agile architectures. Agile is essentially a principle of how you will build this, how, how fast you are going to do this. It has nothing to do how uh, integral the system will be and how uh, you're going to ensure that the systems can't be taking over, stepping over, say, state rights, right? Even though they do mention states as a component, but the center-state relations will completely change. And we have seen this in other existing national infrastructures like GST, where states' power has been taken over, even with vaccination, for example, with COVID. Uh, it's a state subject. States didn't really have a say with how it was going to be done. So what you're seeing with this digitization is that the center will have access to all of the state's data. And by coding something into this architecture, the center can say this is what the states have to do because we have coded this into this digital architecture. I would say it's the constitution for digital India that's being made. And uh, it's completely centralized. And the people who are designing it, because you asked me who is driving it, there is this retired bureaucrat called Jay Satyanarayana, who was the IT secretary at Mighty and UIDI chairman. He experimented a lot of these architectures in Andhra Pradesh uh, as an advisor and also an IT secretary back in 2000s. Uh, he was also the guy who designed National E-Governance Plan for India, which built all, a lot of these systems. So it's his ideas that are coming out. If one needs to understand more about this, one can read his book on e-government, where he explains why we are pushing for this architectures. Right. You made a number of really uh, significant points uh, uh, in, in just a matter of minutes, uh, Shini. One thing which struck me is you said this is uh, basically like a constitution for digital India, and uh, and 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 you drew an analogy with how for uh, for no, for offline or traditional governance, 
uh, we have a constitution document which tells which says what the government uh, agents agencies can do cannot do what is the role of uh, the states and center and so on but that for that we had a constituent assembly debating and you know it took like more, so many months for preparing the document uh, there was a lot of public consultations and debates but there doesn't seem to be uh, anything of the same scale of debate around this digital uh, constitution that is one thing which struck me and secondly you also said that belying the name of a uh, federated identity it's not really federated it's actually the opposite it's going to be a series of centralized national identities that's going to be linked together and then you're saying that uh, it basically means that the central government will have access to all state government data a uh, one way access and then it will then tell the state governments what they can do and cannot do and this kind of a division of a uh, domain authority will not be exactly what the constitution had envisaged in terms of uh, the federate the federal responsibilities between center and states so it, it could you are saying lead to greater centralization of uh, powers as opposed to what the constitution lays down is that right absolutely i mean and we have seen this again and again with uh, several existing systems right like other gst uh, as i said covid healthcare which is a very state specific subject right so you are putting software onto state hands and saying that you have to use this software and only the center then gets to decide how the software is made so you're pretty much locking the states it's like the state can't have access to the code of the software you can't change it you're forced to use it or you are forced to not use it i mean can the states have access to the software because the document the india document uh, says throughout that it's going to be open source and everything will be transparent anybody can make uh, whatever apps etc for it what is being stated as a, a, a like the federated uh, ids it's been saying it's federated but it's not it's clear right it's national ids similarly they're saying it will be open source but what they mean is they are going to adopt open source systems like uh, linux and it it doesn't mean that you will have access to the systems okay and open here is more need, it needs to be looked in the sense of open for businesses and open to interlink databases for the government but not necessarily open source where the source code can be inspected to see what is the code and how is the system working it will be a very closed system just like aadhar just like gst just like coven where you don't know what the system is right now this going back a little bit into some detail about this india framework which is like the source of this entire uh, proposal for federated uh, identities now the document says that the government should only set up what it calls within quotes core building blocks and then it talks of uh, digital ecosystems in contrast to systems or enterprise software and and sometimes one gets the impression at least i got the impression that it seems to be preparing the ground for of uh, vendors uh, of open source software solutions i mean is that a valid uh, interpretation of uh, where this is leading it is um see the idea here is that the system will be built through a public private partnership that's been the fundamental policy of government of india since 90s now they are saying let's just build the base for it and let the private sector build the 
apps on top of it. So if you look at what happened with Aadhaar, they built Aadhaar, they gave away the APIs and they let the private sector build more tools on top of it. Uh, in case of COVID, uh, they again built the infrastructure, then they started sharing APIs. All the uh, Now health IDs can be created by the private sector. So similarly, what they're saying is that let's build uh, a system with only the core functions and let's not build the end citizen functionalities. We don't need to build apps for citizens that the private sector can do. What we need to be building, though, is we need to be uh, finalizing the architecture. We need to be finalizing the APIs on what can be allowed through the citizen applications and what can't be. But we won't be building those citizen applications. Like UPI, there are a lot of private apps. They eventually build that Beam app by the government, but that wasn't part of the plan. So it will be more private sector building the end applications. Right. So are there any surveillance or data privacy implications of this uh, federated ID project? I mean, you're talking about building a giant interlinked platform where all data is going to be flowing, right? So somebody at the top has access to all the data in the country, all the data of everybody. Uh, I don't know if... He's saying, Mr. J. Satyanarana has been saying this, but there is this principle that they always used to use, single source of truth and 360 degree profiling. Uh, the idea of single source of truth is uh, that only the government will decide what truth is. And through, through this data that the government is collecting of everybody, they will decide whether who you are, like the, the way they decided it with Aadhaar, whether you're eligible for something or whether you're not eligible for something else. They want to decide every aspect of your life uh, through this system. And they want you to track the moment you are born till you die. Uh, if you look at the recent changes that happened, Earth IDs are being, Aadhaar is being is issued at birth in hospitals. And they want to do a bit of predictive governance by building all of this interlinking of databases. So it's it's very centralized. It's 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 an architecture that any authoritarian leader would love. Uh, it can be used for surveillance. It, uh, it it can be used for a host of things. But what they are saying is that we are going to only use it for predictive governance. There won't be any mishaps. We are going to ensure that the system is designed by uh, with security, but we still need to interlink these databases because we need 360-degree profiles of citizens. I mean, this the, what you just said, these two principles, single source of truth and 360-degree uh, profiles, these are what? Are they software principles or what are they? Yeah, I mean, single source of truth is an informational principle. It's an information model where you have a master database and only the information in the master database is truth, right? And they want to apply this to entire government. Okay, this sounds, it doesn't sound particularly democratic. I mean, it sounds like something out of a dystopian novel, single source of truth. I mean, really? Okay. Okay, let's, we are running out of time. So one final question. So how do other countries say in the West do digital governance? Do they also depend on 
this kind of a, a singular id with multiple functionality functionalities linked together this nda kind of framework with single source of truth and 360 degree profiling i think what we need to understand is a lot of these systems are being designed as they evolve and the only other place where this has been implemented is estonia i think i mentioned this in one of our previous conversations how these systems were developed but if you look at the west i mean if you look at europe and us and if you look at how digital systems are usually made how standards because india ia at the end of the day is a standard for governance and if you look at how digital standards are made uh, there are standards bodies like w3c where internet engineering task force they decide what the standard should be for a particular technology and whether governments adopt it or not then you have government bodies like uh, nist in the us bureau of indian standards in india who will then decide whether we should make it a standard in case of uh, e governance standards in india it was mighty uh, ministry of electronics and it who was been designing these and implementing them for a long time and they have never been democratic uh, and that's been the problem with most of digitization in india because you need government to do this for the private sector but the private sector doesn't want these system to be democratic or they don't want these lost to be there because it won't allow emergence of a new market a new digital market right so what's happening now in india is new and from here it will be actually exported to other countries whether these countries decide to use them or not is a different question we are now helping sri lanka with the, with other we will eventually help them build a similar enterprise architecture a sri lanka enterprise architecture which is based on india ia right so you're saying uh, two two things i i can i can get from what you're saying one is of course this is a new e governance architecture which is being uh, tried for the first time or maybe the second time uh, at a scale if we take estonia to be the first time and then you're saying that it's like the constitution now a constitution uh, at least the constitution one is traditionally familiar with has a number of checks and balances it ensures that uh, there is a cap on exercise of power beyond a point and uh, there are multiple uh, what should i say institutional frameworks to ensure that core political values such as democracy uh, and division of powers are secured now isn't it necessary to have the same set of uh, uh political values to be preserved in an e-governance architecture as well because if you're going to uh design something like this which is going to be the which is going to be the architecture or the constitution for interface between not just the government and the citizen but also between the central government and the state government and the government and the private sector uh what what happens to uh these political values that are sort of enshrined in our constitution isn't there a mechanism by which they can be translated into the domain of digital governments as well i think it can uh, the only question is uh, for this to happen the parliament needs to function the parliament hasn't been really looking and checking all of these authoritarian apps and systems that have been coming over a long time if you look at all the enquiries on pegasus and surveillance that the government has been doing i don't think the mps themselves understand what's happening and it's been a long exercise in educating them to that what you are being told versus what's happening is completely different and they are also unable to act 
on this because of the lack of functioning of the parliament. I hope that the Parliamentary Committee on IT looks into this. They haven't been really doing enough for the scale at which digitization has been happening in India. Right now, the only framework that we have to look into all of this is the Parliament. And within the Parliament, it's the Parliamentary Committee of IT. Other governance systems, there are pretty much no independent systems in India anymore. They're all under a ministry. So... If the ministry wants it, they are going to execute it. Right. Uh, thank you so much, Shinova. This is a really uh, very important issue, and and given the magnitude of uh, the impact uh, that these developments and initi- initiatives could have, there needs to be a wider uh, debate. And of course, we hope that Parliament does debate this new uh, digital governance architecture at some depth and detail. Thank you so much uh, for sharing your thoughts and insights. Pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Sankar. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.